Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. Welcome along to this special edition of the uh, St Albans podcast. It's our th- a theatre special. We, we've done, uh, we don't want to do these uh, of late. And uh, what we're going to do this time around is we're going to chat all about, we're going to chat, that sounded a bit, didn't, that sounded a bit common really, didn't it? That didn't sound terribly uh, broadcast-like. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to discuss uh, a couple of plays that are on at the moment uh, locally. And I say we because I am joined uh, once again by our very own theatre correspondent, the one and only, the lovely uh, Amy. Hello. 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 Did you forget my last name there? I suddenly forgot your first one. <laughs> oh, what's she called again? Excellent. Oi, so, I can't call her oi. Not all on the fan mail wasn't coming in from my last uh, appearance on the podcast that yeah. you've just been so intimidated by the love that's coming in it it has uh, yes it, it's it's played on me somewhat the fact that uh yeah that the, you you've got all the love hey ho but uh but yes um uh the, which wasn't me greeting you by the way but no what we're doing is we're looking at uh, two shows that are on at the moment uh we have uh jeeves and worcester in perfect nonsense which is on at the abbey theater until the 17th of june uh, but first we're going to be looking at uh, the first offering from ovo that is part of the roman theater festival and this is romeo and juliet uh, and it's on uh, th- it's on and off because it's on for a week and it's off for a bit and then it's back on and then off and on and off again but it's on on and off until the 29th of July up at the Roman Theatre and um, and Amy you went to see this a few days ago uh, so uh, I mean often I would start by saying you know tell us something of the story most people would know the story but over have tweaked it slightly haven't they they've changed the setting they have and so Romeo and Juliet I was I have to say I was a little bit skeptical when I heard that it was going to be set in 1998 Belfast and I just thought oh you always have to do a twist and I wasn't I was thinking oh where's this gonna go but actually I was blown away it worked perfectly and it fit so well in terms of the tensions at that time and not to give away my age as a lady shouldn't do that but um it's very something that was very much in living memory and knowing sort of the tensions that were going on um over in northern ireland at at that time it the setting was brilliant and brought a whole sort of freshness and a very relatable dynamic to the vast majority of the audience if not all of the audience who was there okay um so yeah so they they've uh, they've adapted it adapting shakespeare is not exactly a you know it, it happens all the time and you cannot be too critical of it because you were recently in an adapted shakespeare play yourself where they changed the setting that would be correct so yeah. no no i can't so. So, so, so i'm just i'm just throwing out my own sense of conflict about adapting shakespeare yeah, yeah. but when it when it's done well as this was it, it is brilliant but sometimes i i sometimes feel that adaptations for adaptation's sake um ca- can be challenging but um the director did a fantastic job and i believe the director hails from belfast as well which probably helped and you could see that there and sort of the way that um uh the lady anna franklin who played the prince in this as well as the nurse and she brought almost a bbc newsreader-esque that really planted you in 
Belfast at that time okay. in terms of mentioning the Good Friday Agreement and, and things like that. Mm. It was it was excellent. And if you want to hear more from Anna, then uh, look through uh, some of our earlier episodes because a couple of episodes ago, Anna was our guest talking about this upcoming production as it was at the time. Uh, so one of the well, two things that she mentioned about this uh, production, she said about the music and she also mentioned about the movement. She said they were using movement a lot in this play. That is right. And um, I took my correspondent role very seriously. She took a notebook with me. And one of the first few things I wrote down was how incredible the movement was. The opening fight scene was a, an incredible mix of dance and sort of stage fighting. And the trust those actors must have had in each other. Some of the stuff they were doing was incredible. And I imagine there was a serious amount of limbering up before they went on stage it was it was beautiful to watch and almost kind of west side story-esque in terms of the combination of sort of almost ballet like movements and some quite brutal fight scenes particularly between um the character of tybalt and um mercutio as well Uh, and their fight scene in particular in the second half was was quite chilling Okay. Um, yeah, looking at the creative team, there, there is both a movement captain and a movement and fight choreographer. So, so I was guessing there's a lot of that going on. No, definitely. Particularly the fight scene and then also um, the marital night between Romeo and Juliet as well was very beautifully done as well. Um, um, don't wink at me, Danny. We all know what that means. <laughs> That's more of a raised eyebrow than a wink, but okay. Um, now, uh, the music, uh, this is something that Ovo often do. They often take Shakespeare and they, they give it a musical element uh, to it. And did this feel like a musical or was it just some carefully inserted um, pieces of music? Or how did the music work with, with the, the, the play? The music worked, I think, very well and was very subtly done so that you didn't sort of feel you'd somehow been transported into Disney's version of Romeo and Juliet. Um at the start, um, you had Benvolio coming on with a guitar and explaining sort of what, what was about to happen. And there were some beautiful moments. So when Lady Capulet um, has her party where Romeo and Juliet meet for the first time, the music at that party is done by the cast. And I I have to say sort of the bromance between Romeo, Benvolio and Mercutio and their relationships was, it was it was amazing to watch and added these beautiful moments of humour. There was so much laughter in the audience when all of them were singing and making jokes and you could really see that strong bond between those three characters, which makes obviously what happens in the second half when we sadly lose Mercutio quite quite upsetting. Okay, spoiler. Um... If you don't know what happens in Romeo and Juliet... <laughs> then, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to ruin that for you. Okay, all right. I'm going to watch Titanic later. Don't ruin that one for me either. Um, now, uh, this uh, this particular production, um, this this show, you're somebody, I know that you know a bit about theatre. I know that you have quite a love for theatre. Uh, are you quite familiar with Romeo and Juliet? And how does this compare to other productions that you might have seen? So I've seen a few productions of Romeo and Juliet and um, was in a production of Romeo and Juliet, but that was sort of in year eight English. So okay. I'm not entirely sure. Who did you play? Um, I was, I think I was probably like tree number five or something particularly inane. Which is quite an important part. Though. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely an important part. A lot of scope part. to branch out in that role. Oh, really? Really? I mean, you set it up though. I, I had to take a shot. 
<laughs> but no, I thought I thought what was particularly good about this adaptation was the accessibility and it, it was something similar to um the Shakespeare that we did together as it made the text a lot more accessible to an audience who perhaps isn't as f- familiar with the Shakespearean language and I thought who'd ever sort of done the job of adapting it what had done a, a brilliant job to perhaps people who weren't very familiar with the text um they wouldn't perhaps know that some of it had been adapted and that like I say because of the setting in Belfast as well sort of slipping in those references but it didn't feel clunky in in any way at all I was told that the music was very carefully chosen as well um, by Irish artists one of whom I admitted on on this show the other week with Anna that I didn't know was Irish which is quite bad but a D-Ream, Things Can Only Get Better, I believe, was one of the, the yes, songs that was used. Was. And I said, I didn't even know that, that, you know, I wonder why. I said, oh, maybe it's just because it was a hit at the time. And I looked up later, it's because the guy behind D-Ream is, I think he's from Northern Ireland. And there was also um, a Zombie by the Cranberries as yeah. well. That was a particularly beautiful movement scene as well. And um, all of the sort of Irish, it was sort of like an Irish folk trio who were, it just kind of, again it reminded you where you were and it it just brought everything together really beautifully okay so that's um th- that's that's romeo and juliet which is the first offering from ovo as part of the roman theater festival you can find out more uh from their website ovo.org.uk and uh, there's a link as well in the episode notes of this here episode of our show right now also on our website stalmanspodcast.com oh one more thing i was going to ask you um for those who wouldn't have been to the open air theatre before at the, the Roman Theatre, what can you describe something of the experience? And this was your first time going, wasn't it? It was, and it was magical, is the only way I can describe it, because you are set in these ruins of what would have been the original Roman Theatre in St Albans, and it's beautifully set up. My bum did go to sleep on the chairs, so I do recommend taking up the hint that is on the ticket that says bring a cushion and i also completely misjudged the weather and was rather chilly by the end of the night so again read the ticket and bring the blanket but it was a magical magical evening it really was uh, anna was saying the other week that uh that they've now done an awful lot of shows there and they've only had to stop them i think she said twice because of the weather they carry on in all weather they have done it in snow they have done it in rain wow they, they go regardless and yeah they do advise that you you are prepared for sitting outdoors for that amount of time i clearly missed that memo <laughs> how weird when i went the first time they had cast members greeting you on the way in it you really felt it was like an immersive experience uh, the the way that they they had themed the refreshments that were available mm. and the, 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 yeah, like I say, there were, there were cast members sort of like ushering you to a seat in character and it, it was it was something else. But the setting as well is beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's so nice up there. It, it really is. And it really added something to it, particularly because they were setting it in um, Belfast Harbour in the Duckland area. Being outside and being in that environment, it really kind of helped transport you there along with the set. Um, I have to give a shout out for the set because I do love a minimalist set and it um, was 
brilliant how did they move the props and furniture and things because that's something that i know that you feel very strongly about i do feel very strongly about that and it was all done beautifully in character so i was very happy about right. that okay because you don't like it when when people come on a movie you think it needs to be done in some way in character i do like it when a director makes a conscious choice to make it part of the show right. as opposed to just getting people on in black with some gloves to wheel things in and off it, it does upset me okay my pet peeve good to know right okay anyway that's uh, that's Romeo and Juliet on up at the Roman Theatre Festival right now uh, and again links can be found on our website and in the notes uh, episode notes of this here show right now Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for the St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the St Albans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning, for more information, visit sullivanspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. Following that brief interval, um, we're now turning the tables on Danny and I get to interview him about the Abbey Theatre's latest production of Jeeves and Worcester, which is on until the 17th of June at the Abbey Theatre. So, Danny, can you tell us a little bit about what this play is all about? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. So, th- th- the full title of the play is Jeeves and Worcester in Perfect Nonsense. And uh, this is um, a- an adaptation of, of Jeeves and Worcester for the stage. I- I'm not entirely sure if it's if it's completely based on, on one particular book or story of, of theirs or not. I should say, I am completely unfamiliar with Jeeves and Worcester. I know that Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie played Jeeves and Worcester on TV in the 90s or the noughties. It was, a, I think it was some time ago now. But I, and, and I know it's based on the books by P.G. Woodhouse, but, but it's something that has completely passed me by. I've never had any real interest in this before. If you say Jeeves to me, I just think of the search engine well, in the 90s of Ask Jeeves. And that's where the name, I think... Ask Jeeves was kind of inspired because it was a butler and it was inspired by Jeeves from Jeeves and Worcester. Um, so uh, anyway, that's, um, you know, so I, I thought it's probably good to explain that up front because I've never, um, you know, I, I, I've never really experienced Jeeves and Worcester in any way whatsoever before. So I was coming at this very new. But um, this is based on the wonderfully eccentric stories, it says here, of P.G. Woodhouse. And this delightful comedy th- features three actors playing multiple parts. Booty Worcester begins to tell a simple story in his inimitable style, but soon calls, as always, for his trusty manservant Jeeves, who steps in to bring sense from confusion. Assisted by Seppings, the butler to Bertie's Aunt Dahlia, uh, the three men bring to life some of Woodhouse's best-loved characters. So that's the the setting of it. And they call it perfect nonsense. And it's kind of because it is. It is absolute nonsense. And the story is difficult to follow because so much of it is just them talking. Mm. They're telling you what has happened off stage, off, you know, and, and out of the spotlight. And and if you were looking at it just from that point of view, you might struggle and you might wonder if it's particularly worth bear, sticking with. However, that is the least of what there is to say about this. This was a wonderful experience. The The acting was superb. The, the three actors who were playing 
Jeeves and Worcester and another butler called Sepping, who were then in turn playing loads and loads of different characters while um, Worcester was uh, explaining a story. He was telling the audience. So he was, it was completely breaking of the fourth wall mm. and he was talking to the audience throughout, telling us about an account an encounter that he he just had and um and and then he was using uh, his his butler his manservant um Jeeves and he was using this other um butler Seppings to explain and and, to, and so he said so you know and then he would get them to play the different parts I was about to say so how did that work because it's a three-hander but from what you're saying there are multiple roles within the story yeah. so how did these three actors bring all these other characters to life so they did it exhaustingly they look i mean it was exhausting in a in a good way to watch them i don't mean it was tiring to watch it you could just you felt their energy they they and they must have been in fact i saw i saw them at the bar afterwards they were exhausted at the end of this because they had so many costume changes to do uh, they some of which were done on stage uh, they where they had to change costume the one who really got away with all that was probably the the guy who played worcester because he's the narrator of the story and he stayed as himself and it was the other two who were doing all of these changes and all of these different voices they had to do and 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 it was it was hilarious watching them do that and watching the farce of it all and uh, yeah there, there was one bit where he keeps describing um a character that that he was going to come into conflict with and every time he exaggerates his height by a bit more and so um the the butler sepping who was already quite a tall actor uh having to to sort of do this and then he said but now by now he he must have been at least six foot six and so he's up on his tiptoes and then and then later he goes he and he, he towered over me it was as if he was seven foot tall and he goes off and gets a box to stand on and and then later on he, he says and it was as if he was nine foot tall and then he he just sort of rolls his eyes goes back off and comes on with something where he can climb up onto it and it's got his feet sticking out of the bottom and it was it was hilarious it was so well done and i've heard mention the whispers at the bar when i was working the bar today was that there is a car involved in the production which has caused quite a stir i believe in the audience every time it comes on yes yeah, so basically it looks like a cardboard cutout of the front of a car uh, a flat um, you know just drawing of the front of a car that they then sit behind and there's a projector behind them with a road driving along in black and white and and they they're just moving a steering wheel and and it is it is unbelievably cheap and hilarious the, the way they did it i had heard that originally they had a more sophisticated car and they got rid of it um, partly because it was quite heavy but also partly because they actually thought it works better when it's just a big piece of card that's shaped like the front of a car and I think that's something the Abbey Theatre quite prides themselves on in terms of like their sets and their design and everything. And how did that work in this production? So I was in a production where there was a vehicle that was needed and they actually went to an awful lot of trouble to dress up a mobility scooter to look like this particular vehicle that they, in fact my character had to drive on stage, which was quite fun. And, and so they can kind of go for authenticity. But on this one, they clearly went for laughs. And it was funny to see them sat on a bench with, with, with this big piece of card basically in front of them that was the outline of the front of a car. And not only that, but you also had, the, again, the character Seppings was, was off to the one side. And, and, and then it said something like, and then we drove past this field with a car in it. And he's going, moo. And, and, then, and then he said something about there was some other, you know, we could hear the birds and he's got these whistles and he's blowing these whistles. And then there's something about it raining and he's got a water pistol and he's squirting it on the car. And, and it was just, it was just, so absurd and and it was really really funny 
So, you know, all three actors uh, were, there's uh, you know, just three of them in it, uh, but Guy uh, Conroy Smith, Mark Dawson, and uh, an Abbey Theatre stalwart, uh, Roy Bookham, who has been in many, many productions down there. They were, they were magnificent. They were superb. The physicality of their performances, the, the, the quick change of the characters. There's one part where, as they're recounting the story, they realise suddenly that, that one of them has been playing two different parts. And suddenly Worcester's saying that they're both on stage at the same time talking to each other. And they're looking and thinking, how are we going to do this? And then suddenly um, you see uh, Jeeves has an idea and he sort of goes like, one minute. And he runs off and then he comes back on and he's half dressed as one and half dressed as the other. And he just keeps turning in profile from side to side to talk to himself. And, and, and people applauded at the end of that little sequence because it was so well done by, by Mark Dawson in that part. But, uh, but yeah, it was, like I say, the story, I, I didn't particularly get much out of it. I, I struggled to follow it. It was very convoluted. But just the whole experience of it, it was hilarious. It was so well done. And it was short, which is not really something you're supposed to say is a good thing about plays. But it was two 45-minute halves and it flew by. It was great, great fun. So what I'm hearing is it's punchy, it's funny, and it's a sort of great way to spend your evening. So that's Jeeves and Worcester in a perfect nonsense. And it's on from the 9th to the 17th of June at the Abbey Theatre. Yeah. And something else I just wanted to say about it as well is um, I can't, I mean, there's a whole page there that says about all of the crew that are in, in this production. There must be... 20 30 names on that page of all the different people involved with you know stage management and and crew and 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 a set design set construction uh, props set painting sound design lighting uh, wardrobe all these different things and we often forget how many people are working behind the scenes on on a particular production and especially when this one only has three actors yet it probably has a team of 30 or so people to bring that to life it also sometimes shows how the, the actors maybe aren't, aren't as significant as one thinks. I mean, obviously you can't do it without them, but there is no way you could do it without that crew behind them. And I gather that so many of those people were in the wings because the wardrobe were waiting just off stage because they had to rapidly change the costume of, of one of those three performers and they only had moments to do it before they were flung back on stage performing another character. So yeah, it was it was uh, it was very impressive, and uh, and you know and and all sort of plaudits to the to the director as well, uh, who who did a great job with with this show. So all those bits coming together, I can only imagine the work that would have been involved. And I think um, again, I, I was aware that sort of the three actors who were on stage had backstage their own sort of assistants not to kind of you know get them coffee and do their laundry but in terms of the sheer gargantuan amount of as you said props and um costume changes and so forth and and like you say it you know um the actors on stage supported by such an incredible team behind them so it's it's fantastic to um give them a shout out as well yeah yeah they, they did such a good job and uh and yeah everyone pulled together so well to to bring this to life and make it an enjoyable experience so yeah well, well done to them i i know it's been put on professionally on a, on a number of occasions and i think similar criticisms have been levied about the storyline itself this isn't any fault of anybody at the abbey theater they're they're working with with something that someone else has provided and i think that where where this play has had good plaudits before is because of the strength of the cast and uh, certainly those three actors pulled off a gargantuan effort to 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 make that what it what it became and it was such good fun 
Excellent. Well, so as I said, it's Jeeves and Worcester in a perfect nonsense, and it's on the 9th to the 17th of June at the Abbey Theatre. And the links uh, will be in the episode notes of this uh, podcast episode right now and also on our website at stalbanspodcast.com. Thank you, Amy, for your help with this show. It's a pleasure. And uh, Amy will be back reviewing uh, other pro- other shows, both for um, the Roman Theatre Festival and also there is one more show for the Abbey Theatre for this season of the Abbey Theatre. Although the, the season then ends and then within weeks the next season started. But, uh, but nonetheless, they, they still have one more show to go. So I'm sure you'll be back fairly soon to talk about more things happening at the theatre. Can't wait. See you then. Thanks for listening to this edition of the St Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. Join us, the St Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with the Heart Advertiser. If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.